Welcome to our latest edition of Unplugged. Plenty to talk about. Uh, Ryder gets ripped off and the coach gets the spicy cough. There are a couple of the talking points to, to look at as we head towards the Gold Coast Clash, but we are riding high off what was a particularly impressive performance. It's one of those games where you're, you're left scratching your head in a good way in the aftermath of that Hawthorne match, thinking, geez, that's what it looks like when it all comes together. It's been a little while since that happened, and, and maybe if that happens more often, then this might be a year that takes us some places. But we'll, uh, we'll we'll obviously wait and see with optimism, and hopefully that starts to fall our way. We'll have to do it for the next fortnight without our, obviously, immensely talented tap ruckman in, in Paddy Ryder, but hopefully... We can negotiate our way through those matches, coincidentally, against the AFL's two love childs. How funny <laughs> is that? But we uh, we wrap up the Hawthorne game, 22-10, to 10-13-73. We've kicked 40 goals in two weeks, but also kicked very straight, 18-9 against Richmond, 22-10 against Hawthorne. We seem to have a habit of kicking very well at the MCG in uh, recent times. So, uh, uh, there might be various reasons for that, but um, it, it is a bit of a trend we've had. Even back in the day, Nick Rewalt was always a glorious kick at the MCG by comparison to other venues. But uh, that was a, a really good day. There were contributors across every line. And, and H, that was a, um, a an easy watch. And we haven't had a lot of those, um, apart from conceding two goals in the first minute again. Um, but a, a really impressive performance. It's an inter- inter- interesting tactic we're taking <laughs> This year, it's um, give give them a false sense of security in the first thirty seconds, and then yeah, run over top. But um, yeah, it's sort of after what happened last week, they've kicked the two and sort of thinking, okay, we, we did this last week. We're a bit worried last week, but okay, we've seen it before. Yeah, I think I, it's not not too much to ask by the looks of it. So, and then we just took control from there. We kicked what I think it was the next six after that. So, um, yeah, it's a good to or four or something. Um, yeah, it's, it's good to put a team away, which is what I saw, I asked at the end of the last week's pod to say we need to put a team away at some point, which we'd managed to. Um, funnily enough, the two very late goals they kicked actually put the margin to exactly what we've been last year as well. So it was a couple of little quirks. Um, the other little quirk being, um, I think it was 15 seconds into the match, Ben Patton gives a free kick away in the back, kick a goal, and 15 seconds left in the match. He gives a free kick, pushing it back, kick a goal. So <laughs> it, a couple of little strange things that happened in the match. But otherwise, yeah, it's a, it was nice to be sitting there at halftime again. hey, uh, this should be a win. But we did say we're not going to celebrate till we're on the bus and going home. So, yeah, it's, it's nice to win a second half after you've been so dominant in the first half already. Yeah, there was a little bit of that residual St Kilda pain, which I'll probably touch on that a little bit later in the That's So St Kilda. But at halftime, we're in total control of the match and we're never going to lose. But you couldn't help but still feel a little bit toey, thinking, geez, that was so good that surely it can't last. And you're a bit nervous, but um, pretty early in the third, it sort of put it to bed. But yeah, Ben Patton also probably ended up on a poster uh, with Mitch Lewis taking that hanger on him. So he had a uh, an interesting day. And was yeah, that... I, I actually remember Derby saying at halftime that he thought Hawthorne would overrun us and we would actually run out of steam. And he, he was very confident about it. But I'll tell you I what, love, you I love back... Derby. Yeah, I love Derby, but he, he mustn't have seen us kick a thousand goals in second halves in the last No, I, I don't think he watched that game last week. 
or the week before for that matter, yeah. or even the week before that. We, we finished so, strongly so, yeah. in that one as well. So, a, a third, third quarter seemed to be a turnaround because they used to be our worst quarter by a mm. long way, but now they seem to be going not too bad. And then we have the Mexican quarter coming after that. <laughs> yeah, Nick, what did, what did you make of that? It was, um, yeah, it, it ticked all boxes apart from losing a player. It, it did. I, I must have been, I was sitting next to an old Hawthorne bloke for uh, for the majority of the game. And, and at halftime, he kept saying, oh, this game's over. And I was like, mate, it's not over. <laughs> this is killer. It's not over yet. And even at three-quarter time, I was like, oh, I still don't know if I can, can if you can put it in the books or not. It is that residual Saints nervousness and, and anxiety that you touched on. But, um, I mean, we, we spoke last week, H, around uh, wanting, you know, if not a four-quarter performance, then, you know, a two quarter or two and a half quarter performance. And, and that might be enough to, to put Hawthorne away. And, you know, we got, we got more than that. We got a three and a half quarter performance. Um, and, and it just goes to show that, that when we do that, we can actually have the ability to put the foot down and, and put a team away. Like, like we did on the weekend. We, we don't often do, even when we are gifted those opportunities, we don't often put the foot down and, and, and put a team away. So that was nice to see. Um, it was again very good to see that it was a very even performance. You know, there were a couple of obvious standouts, but from the whole team, you know, across the board, there were very few that that a didn't win their position, or or if not that, then didn't at least didn't pull their weight at all. Um, obviously, you, you've spoken about Ben Patton having a, a bit of a mare, and um, there were those kind of those, those couple of moments. But other than that, even he was was solid again. Um, yeah, it's just it's just nice to see that that they're actually putting even uh, even performances together as a group, but now also starting to put that together across an entire game and not just a twenty minute burst. Yeah, to be three and one with six or seven players on your injury list and four debutants um, is quite encouraging. And uh, look, Mitch Owens struggled a bit in round one, but he's going to be a very good player. The other three players that have debuted have really impressed. Jack Hayes. Uh, Wangadine Malera and Windhager on the weekend have all been super. Jared Leinert's been really good since coming in. So the new faces have, have certainly done their job. But yeah, it, it's an interesting life being a St Kilda supporter because there's part of the time you look at things as a neutral perspective and watching the game, because you've constantly got that worry, but watching the game, I think when we kicked the three in a row straight after they got the two, I was watching the game and thinking, yeah, I'm pretty sure we've got this mob covered today. Like we're all over them. Our ball movement looks like it's going to be too sharp. But then you're like, shut up your head, like pull your head in. Like that's, things can go wrong. But um, yeah, it, it was that constant battle throughout the game going 100% got their measure game over. Now, hang on a second. What if this happens? Or if he kicks yeah. this, they're within five and they might get a free kick or something. But yeah, I mean, the other thing about, yeah. about narratives, right, is that if not for a, a 10 or 15 minute kind of loss in, in judgment at the end of that Collingwood game, I mean, we mm. worked bloody hard to get back into that, to take the lead and then dropped it at the end. Probably should have won, yeah. Should, should have won that game. Mm. And when, when you come back from that deficit, take the lead, you shouldn't lose from that no, point on. No. And we did. And round one's a weird, funny, interesting beast. Mm. We know that. But we beat Collingwood all of a sudden with four and zip, and the narrative around the club is completely different. Um, mm-hmm. You know, whereas over the last couple of weeks, it's been well, you know, they're, they're not much chop. They haven't beaten anyone. Um, you know, they haven't really proved anything. But in, instead, um, it could have it could very well have been the beaten Collingwood, Richmond, Fremantle in Perth, and now Hawthorne, who were were two and one at the time. Like, how far could this team go? I'm not saying that you know 
flag contenders or anything like that. I mean, clearly the lid is very much mm-hmm, on, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. the narrative between four and zip, which which ultimately was very possible, and three and one can be quite different. You just look at at Carlton for the, the difference in the hype around Carlton until mm-hmm. last week being three and zip. Had we been three and zip at the same stage, what that storyline around the club looks like compared to what it was over the last few weeks. And we need to be careful not to slip on the, the same banana peel that, that they Absolutely. slipped on. Obviously, the game's at Marvel, but the Gold Coast aren't anywhere near the worst team in the competition anymore. They're, they're, they've got a fair bit of ability. Um, so we'll and they do play pretty well against us historically. Yeah, like we, we usually beat them by a point or something. So um, we've obviously got to be be careful in that game. Generally, we play them in Queensland. It's been We don't play them at Marvel that often. But, um, yeah, it, it's a tricky one. And if you look at the form lines of the obviously the teams we've beaten Collingwood started the year really well and they knocked us off, but they were in good form that they dropped the game. They, they'd be pretty disappointed to lose on the weekend just gone, but Fremantle have only lost that one game to us and, and we outplayed them. They've looked really good apart from that. Richmond belted GWS the week before, belted the Bulldogs the week after, and then we smashed them in the second half. They, they even led Carlton by four or five goals in the last quarter in round one. So they played some good footy. And then obviously Hawthorne had started the year really well. They won their first two convincingly and then lost to Carlton by a point when they were in great form. So I know Hawthorne are a young side that are going to have dips and they certainly had one of those on Sunday. But our form line does stack up. Um, We've obviously got to push that that through again this week. But yeah, it's amazing. I was watching the game at home against Richmond the week before and pacing around the lounge room more four and a half goals down, feeling really shit about the world. And then... um, since then, we've kicked 30 goals or something. So, um, yeah, long may that continue. One one of the things yeah, I want right. to ask you guys about um, accuracy, and, and Parker, you mentioned about accuracy mm. at the G. Now, one of the things that, that's kind of been thrown around my office over the last couple of weeks has been the fact that St Kilda, obviously, like most clubs, train in an open-air facility. They, they yeah. do their goal-kicking at Moorabbin, um, in the elements, in the, the swirling wind, etc., um, and so as soon as you take that inside where there are no elements, there is no wind, et cetera, do, are you preparing for the wrong things when you're training like that for majority of games indoors? Or should we you know, potentially request more games at the G or should we find a way to train indoors for those conditions? Like, are we just doing it wrong? It's funny. Like, I've never kicked the ball in an inside football stadium before. Like, I've probably kicked them on basketball courts and stuff, but every game I've ever ever played in local football is outside, like most people. So it it probably is a different dynamic, H, kicking a ball in an enclosed bubble rather than kicking it in the open air like you used to. Yeah, I mean, there is word about the... um, a bit of a swirl that goes through the stadium at times, though, through Mm. the gates. Um, it. Obviously, it's all going to depend on which way it's which way the wind's coming from outside. But apparently, it can be a bit like a, I guess it's kind of like an updraft or something mm. that comes in through that. Um, I think it's the, um, the end at uh, I can't remember the, the name of the street off the top of my head. It's the Burke Street end, isn't it? Yeah, Burke yeah, Road or whatever it, it is. That, that yeah, one, Burke Street. Yeah, and, where the pubs yeah, are. Yeah. I, I assume from what they're saying is it can come in and sort of go mm. in and under. I guess so. There is a little bit of elements in the ground, um, but I think it's a bit more unpredictable as opposed to outdoors where the wind is constant if there is a breeze. So it's just a matter of um, it, it's something you can't replicate unless you've got the exact stadium set up at, at your home, at, at your training ground. And um, 
you're never going to get the opportunity to train at Marvel either. So it's it's mm. something you just cannot replicate anyway, anyway, any shape or form, unless you, I guess, buy a massive wind tunnel or something. But um, yeah, it's you'd think it would be a lot easier, but yeah, I, from what I've heard, there is a couple of things that do make it a little bit difficult at times. But yeah, it's. Would in the end it would be nice to actually play a few more games at G every year. I've always been someone who said I'd love to play more games at the MCG. Yeah, it feels like well, we play well to, there most of the time. Yeah, and and to win finals ultimately, if you want to win finals and yeah. grand finals, you've got to be able to win at the G. Might have might have held us back in 09 and ten when we only played a, a couple of games there over those years. Uh, I think 09 we might have only played one, maybe yeah, two right. uh, towards the. I think we played. Melbourne in the last game. I can't think of too many more that year and the following year, maybe two. So um, it, it might have been a factor. But, yeah, it's, I, I'm curious to look at the stats, at conversion at Marvel compared to other grounds. But off the top of my head, it doesn't feel like it's any better. Like, it feels like you have just as many inaccurate games for, for all teams there. I mean, I know the Bulldogs kicked seven goals, 19 at the MCG the other day, but their game against Sydney the week before, they kicked, Nine, seven, seventeen. Nine, yeah. seventeen. They've, yeah, yeah. They've sixteen, thirty-six in two weeks. Yeah, and it's cost them one is, game, and obviously nearly cost yeah. them the other. But we we know all about that as St Kilda people. But we'll touch on the rider suspension shortly. But obviously, we'll wrap that game up with the votes first of all. And I thought there was about eleven players that could have got three. There's a, there's a lot of apologies. I wanted to give an apology to Seb Ross. So he's in really good form. His last three three weeks, especially. I think. Our work on the inside, given we haven't had Zach Jones, but with Crouch, Steele, Ross, Gresham on the inside, those four have been excellent. So apologies to, to Ross, apologies to Crouch, apologies to uh, a number of other players, uh, but also Max King. But my ultimate apology, and for me, this is the guy that's probably the unluckiest player that I've ever not given votes to, is an apology to Jade Gresham. I thought he was unbelievable. Uh, but I gave one vote to Jack Steele. I thought he actually led the way in the middle, 33 possessions, kicked a massive goal in the second quarter, played a great game. I gave two votes to Brad Hill uh, moving forward, 23 possessions and four goals. He was terrific. That's the best game he's played for the club. Uh, and we, we've spoken about him a little bit. And, and as much as he finished second in the best and fairest last year, I think still due recognition is uh, still only just starting to come. And he was one of the guys that didn't hit the scoreboard, but I gave three votes to Jack Sinclair. I thought his game was outstanding. 35 possessions uh, led the way around the ground. So you could easily slot a number of players in there and, and sincerest apologies to Jade Gresham. I wish I could give, you know, half a vote to him as well. But uh, Nick, how did you see it? Very similar, very similar. One thing about Ross, and I agree that his last few weeks have been Good to very good. I think one thing that he still lacks and, and probably is the reason that that didn't get into at least the honourable mentions for me this week was just the number of times that he still either coughs the ball up or gives the ball to someone else when they're under pressure. And it's just just a slight lack of judgment at that moment of disposal that, that I think costs him being a very, very good player all the time. Um, but I think his, his last few weeks have been a vast improvement on his last couple of years at the very least. Um, and, you know, where there were question marks about how he fits into this team with a new, you know, new midfield, new runners, etc. cetera. Um, I think he's kind of answered all those questions in spades. So uh, Seb Ross, unlucky not to get an, an honorable mention this week, but my, uh, my honorable mentions go to Jared Linett. I thought he was very good again, yep. 96% disposal efficiency off halfback, 
with 17 disposals and eight, and eight marks. Tim Membry obviously kicked the four goals, has been very influential. Uh, another eight marks up forward and 15 touches. Max King, very unlucky. Another four goals, two goal assists. Uh, another uh, Goliath performance, performance up forward. And uh, pretty much split from you, Parco. My, my very, very unlucky was Jack Steele. Um, I think this is the what the third week in a row. Maybe he hasn't gotten a vote um, for me, but 33 touches, eight score involvements, five clearances and four tackles will get you a vote almost any week. Um, this week I gave the one to Jade Gresham, 20 touches, eight score involvements, four clearances, four goals, and disposed of the, of the ball at 75%, which for, for anyone who follows kind of Jade Gresham's career, especially since he spent more time in the middle, that's very high for him. He's normally around the 60 mark. Uh, and often, you know, we see games like was Frio a couple of weeks ago where I think he was down at the 30, 32% disposal efficiency mark. Um, it's never been his calling card um, when in the middle. Obviously, he's always been pretty good around goals, but um, finding the ball in the middle, especially as kind of a clearance guy at the stoppages your disposal efficiency has never been his his strong suit but i thought he was very very good this week um and and exactly the type of performance that we need from him in the middle uh bradley hill 23 touches 445 meters gained seven score involvements five inside 50s and four goals without a doubt his best game for st kilda um he's played some very good games but this was i mean dynamic he was involved all the time, change of possession, kicking long, driving the ball forward and ultimately hitting the scoreboard in a number of different ways. I thought he was very, very good. And, and in most weeks, he would get three votes for that. But uh, again, like you touched on, someone who has received recognition over the last few years, but is probably still under-recognized, Jack Sinclair, three votes, 35 touches, eight intercepts, eight score involvements, 400 metres gained at 83% disposal efficiency. This guy just keeps getting better week after week, year after year over the last couple. And I think like we said last week, his move from, from halfback to the wing to the middle uh, has been a masterstroke by the coaching staff. I don't know who's, whose idea or decision that was, but um, is paying off massively and has been our most dynamic, most impactful player since round one. Yeah, I'll squeeze Josh Battle in for my apologies as well. I thought he was excellent too. Uh, H, your, your votes? I was going to say, I could probably give 10 small apologies, yeah. nine large apologies, <laughs> and one massive apology. <laughs> so I've given Jack Sinclair one. I, I, a massive game for him. Mm. He, he He's doing this week in, week out. And I think that's sort of what maybe maybe not real recognize him as much as what he ha- as what some other people have but um his contribution to the team is huge he is he's probably our most skillful player player by far yeah but the clean pickup the clean mm-hmm. disposal just just setting the ball up and just just taking that half an extra second to pick the right option to give us the right send us in the right direction um his reading of the game is brilliant. As the game he played on the weekend, I, I you to evoke him three. I, I should give him three, but I just think two other players just got ahead of him this week. I reckon the, the their contribution, the, the they had a bit more impact in the game, in in the way I saw the game played out. So yeah, it's a massive apology to him. Right but, footed Del Sano in a lot of ways. And, yeah, better, work ethic, yeah. better work ethic and, and potentially, runner, I reckon. yeah, yeah. Um, 
but he has just come of age. And I mean, we all go on about how terrible the um, the before the season we saw the list of the elite players and how mm-hmm. he was the only one on there. And some of the other players are from the other teams are going, how are they even in the same category? But they're definitely one that they got right with him. Yeah, um, definitely. And and but I'm sure they'll find a way to he'll have a massive season and he won't fit in next year somehow. So <laughs> um and two, I've gone with Jade Gresham. Um huge game, huge game. I mean clearances and four goals. That that's his job is to get the ball out of center and then he's backed it up and got down to the forward line and kicked four for us as well, including the absolute rip of the first one. Um, Fourth which, one was a gem as well. The sidestep. That's a beautiful. Oh goal. yeah, yeah. yeah. Faked them out and just went. Oh, thanks for that. I'll well run in and kick this through nice and easily. So, After a lovely sidestep um, from Wanganin Malera too, which was nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. but it's, it's, it's as I said again. I think last week, just what we missed last year. This his distribution out of the center and that X factor getting into the forward line when we're pressuring him down forward to pick off those those couple of goals here and there. And as I said, four on the weekend. Um, geez, I mean, getting one or two a week from him is massive, but uh, give us four, that's a that's a huge game, especially what he gives us elsewhere around the ground. Um, and three, uh, we've said, you've both said his best game for the club. It, it is by far his best game for the club. It, We've actually used him the way he should be playing. It's, it's I'd like to give the rest of the team a vote each for getting him to play the way he played the game because that's what we wanted, but we just have not used him properly. And that has been the issue with him so far since he's been at the club that he hasn't had that chance to play the football that he's best at playing. So like Brad Hill, a brilliant game. He, it's that is an impact game that he basically took the ball ball and horns are going, I'm going to absolutely tear this game apart today. And he did. And it's, we get, we get a game every game this year, if the, between half to three quarters, that output, he's going to finish the season off very strong um, because it, it, whether he gets back to that same sort of level again at any point this year, we don't know, but I'll tell you what, if he does, he, he's going to be tearing teams apart and that's what we brought him in for. And I hope he does that a few more times this year to, I, I guess, some of the higher um, higher class teams that we want to knock off, the Melbournes, the Dogs, and that sort of thing. They're the games we need him to do that in and really, really take it up against them. Yeah, and I, I guess um, if you, I was going to say, if you line up those the, the top two that you mentioned there, Jay Gresham's, Probably our best small forward, but he's just about our best on baller as well. So he's kind of like the uh, the old El Paso at the Pocano Los Dos when I'd have both. So he just he said, I'll, I'll get 25 and I'll kick four anyway. But um, and Brad Hill, I mean, we know his, his work rate is phenomenal, he's a running machine. And 
where he's so damaging if he's playing forward is he just creates so much space. And if he keeps creating space 25 metres out directly in front, like he did, he kicked three set shots from, or two set shots and one, he ran into an open goal. And But probably the goal I was most excited about, and we had the game completely shot to bits by this point, was the last one where normally when he gets the ball around 50-55, he looks for short options and does dinky little passes, but he just took possession and said, nah, bang, I'm just drilling this. And um, yeah, I was, I'm like, if he's got that level of confidence up to just smack that straight through the middle, then that's a, a really good sign. One one of the things that I'm a little bit concerned about coming into this week is the, re- the relationship between Gresham and Ryder from a stoppage perspective, especially mm. forward of centre, looks really, really good. And, and we saw it in the first goal, um, our first goal on the weekend, that Ryder seems to know exactly where Gresham is going to be at any point, And Gresham knows exactly where Ryder is going to hit it at any point. And so seeing how that uh, forward stoppage kind of develops without Ryder over the next week or two with Marshall and, and Hayes or, or even Campbell, if, if at mm. some point he comes in, is going to be really interesting to watch. But Brad Hill, I, I work with a former Hawthorne player who played with Brad Hill at Hawthorne. And essentially his, his um, I, I guess, description of, of Bradley Hill is that he's the cherry on top for a good team to make them into a great team. Uh, you mm-hmm. put Brad Hill into a bad team and not going to make a, a, much of a difference, but you put Bradley Hill into a good team and he's the type of player, he's he's an unbelievable player who can elevate a good team to a great team. So if we can get the team working well together, then adding him playing well into that mix could be huge. And he could play forward, he could play back. They've mentioned that that's a, a horses for courses thing, but it is a good segue, obviously. I think... Most of us may be deep down accepted when we saw the Ryder incident that he'd probably get suspended. Um, we're probably hoping for a week, and, and that seemed reasonable um, based on most principles. He ended up getting two, and, and generally with us, it's, it's certainly not a conspiracy theory. It's just the, the way the luck generally falls for us. We're, we're always going to end up on slightly the wrong end. It'll be the worst-case scenario uh, as it was in this instance. I, I thought they had to appeal it. They did. You're always up against it when you do appeal a tribunal decision. Um, I found it interesting. We had, we had the early win where they let us submit the evidence around the English uh, incident and a couple of others from, from previous years. I think a Jordan Degoe one, and, and there was another one somewhere along the way. Um, but I think maybe we got a little bit complicated in our arguments where we started arguing multiple points at once. One thing we didn't seem to raise, or at least I didn't notice us raise it, is that Will Day has had at least one concussion previously, and that can make you particularly vulnerable to another one, which might mean that the contact doesn't have to be particularly severe to, to cause that, as we've seen well, they, with players did, like Paddy McCartan. They did argue that just because he was concussed doesn't mean Ryder got him in the head. Correct. Um, and it could be whiplash, whiplash could element. on the ground or whatever. Yeah. So they did and, argue that. But Yeah. yeah. Well, I, you, look I, at, you look at the way his head flung forward. Yeah. You're going, well, that's body contact. His head doesn't fling forward if Paddy hits him in the head. Yeah, that, that's a, that's as simple as as physics can be. Um, you played you played a lot of basketball, H, and it looked like a basketball action, like a block in oh, those it was situations. A, it, was a, it was a perfect yeah. screen, absolutely yeah. perfect screen. Um, yeah, it, it, it's the attackers. Yeah. Um, has to get out of the way in of the defender yeah. if the defender is staying still. So yeah. it's a. <clears throat> I mean, that's obviously not a rule in the foot in football, but at the same time, if you're standing in the ground and not moving, 
if a player runs into you, they've got to have some yeah. responsibility as to what happens. True. And look, I mean, in this instance, Stop. yeah, right, right. I could have avoided it. So therefore it's reportable, but, but I think a week would have been the fair outcome, but yeah, but there's been life. plenty of, yeah. I mean, we've seen other players, yeah, said mm. try and run through a player who's just disposed of a ball or lift mm. elbows and not get at things. And, and I thought the lifting the elbow was the thing that they were really trying to stamp out of the game, not players standing up and bracing for contact. So it's just a, it's a confusing time. The AFL brought in a singular match review, review officer to mm. weed out the um, inconsistencies, but it seems to have become more inconsistent than what it was before they had just the one. So it's it seems to be a strange system where it, it, you can have one person, but you have a different result week in, week out. So it's a, I don't know what's, if, if we got him on a bad day this week or, or, he, or he's still living, trying, living down the spud belt and him across the head and not getting anything for it years ago. Possibly. So, yeah, it's a bit of fun. I think all us always heading in there going, oh, well, we're going to get this time. Yeah. It's, it's frustrating, isn't it? I think we've probably, we've spoken enough about it. I think all of us and, and all of St Kilda supporters probably, you know, argued this point over Twitter over the last 24 or 48 hours um, enough. So it, it, it's just frustrating knowing mm. that there are those other examples that you all think are precedent set before and then the goalposts change for whatever reason and it somehow always starts with us. <laughs> and that's, yeah. you know, I'm sure we'll talk about that later on, but, I mean, if, if anything was going to be so St Kilda, that's, that's one of them. Yeah, hundred percent. It's basically the poster boy for the uh, for the segment, but uh, it's a loss. Certainly, it's it's a loss. Um, Jared Witts, one of the better tap ruckmen in the competition this week, and then Braden Proust, who's an absolute bull of the week after. So obviously, could have done with with Ryder for for those matches. But uh, we'll transition now to our feature guest of the week, and that is a man who played. 48 games for the Saints, plenty of highlights along the way. Injuries robbed him of a few more, but he was a cult hero and his name was Brett Moyle. Low kick from Begley, Hall's behind, Hamill's in front. Oh, brilliant roving from Moyle. Bounce. And it bounces oh. back. That makes up for the one earlier. It's his first. Well, I was always going to bounce that way. Well, part of our endeavours each week when we catch up with former St Kilda players is a bit of a where are they now. We, we, we talk a lot about uh, the highlights of their career and the time they spent and the memories that we would all have of them playing, but a lot of it is also to check in around what life entails these days. Brett Moyle, left-footed wingman uh, for the Saints, played 48 games, had a lot of injuries over the journey, rising star nominee and was a fine player throughout that 2000 to 2004 period. Some of it quite difficult for St Kilda, but they were transitioning Positioning into a good a good side towards the back end of that. But Brett, thanks for, for joining us. No worries, Darren. Thanks for having me. Now, I guess starting off with that, what, what has life been like? I know you won a couple of flags in at ball and post and killed it, but can you sort of take us through your footy journey and, and sort of what life's entailed since? Yeah, and no, I've been um, still, I guess, once I finished, I was 24 at the time. So I still had plenty of 
plenty of footy years left. So, yeah, as you touched on, I spent five years at Bourne, which was a lot of fun and played in a couple of flags there, including captaining one, which was which was good. And um, then spent, went into coaching um, at 29 as playing coach at North Ringwood and spent six or seven years there coaching and still maintain sort of a heavy involvement in North Ringwood uh, Footy Club, which actually who wear Saints colours as well. Um, without any sort of direct footy involvement as such, but still, um, yeah, sponsor, I guess my business sponsors them and still heavily involved down there. So. Brett, we'll, um, we'll come to your, your business at the end, but wanted to go back to the very beginning and obviously you, you ended up at St Kilda through the rookie draft, but yep. your family were, were St Kilda supporters. How did that, what was it that, that transition from junior footy to, to being a professional at, at your favourite footy club? Yeah, and no, it was interesting. Well, I guess, um, funnily enough, I know my, my nan, um, Ivy, is probably well known to, um, who then passed away a couple of years ago, but heavily involved in, um, you know, I was probably a well-known St Kilda supporter, I guess. But strange enough, growing up, I did, and I buried for Carlton as a kid growing up. And, um, yeah, but to be honest, I, when you get the when you're sort of sneaking in off the rookie list, you're keen to just get an opportunity wherever you can. So, um, yeah, absolutely, to um, have that um, opportunity at St Kilda was awesome. Yeah, in the same draft, so you were taken as a rookie, but you also, we also picked up another rookie in Stephen Milne. Yeah. Um, did you did you have much to do with him in when you first came into the club, and did you sort of think, oh, yeah, this guy's going to be a bit of a bit of a handful around the club? And uh, oh. how, how was the transition? Did that sort of a sort of play that helped you? Fit in as well, or well, fun, funnily enough, Millie and I played in a um, Knox Junior footy rep side as nine-year-olds together, and then played with and against each other all the way up. And um, I remember having the discussion with my dad along the way. I sort of thought, well, the way Millie plays, like when he was nine, he try and you know balk around the man on the mark to have a shot for goal. He sort of thought, well, he's not going to get away with that when he plays, you know, under fifteen footy, and he won't get away with it when he plays under eighteen footy, and he did. And you think when he goes and plays, TAC won't get away with it, but he did, you know, and he continued to do it for, you know, whatever, nearly 300 games of AFL footy that he played. So, um, you know, obviously, uh, and then I guess we ended up being in the locker next to each other all the way through as well, which was which was quite quite funny how it all panned out. Yeah, you made a pretty good start to your career, 15 possessions and a goal on, on debut. Uh, you finished that first season really strongly in, in your last four games uh, prior to some injuries. But um, what did you what did you make of coming into a club that was in a position of difficulty? Obviously, Tim Watson would be sacked slash resigned towards the back end of that year. We would only win the two games. Is it for a young player in their first season, uh, is it almost a case of I'm just playing my footy and, and that sort of stuff's in the background? Or was it quite difficult given how bad it was to the club? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think when you're younger, I guess a little bit you're a bit more immune to it and maybe not aware of maybe the politics that goes up on a, at, a, at a higher level. And I guess at, at that stage, I think we lost our first five games. Um, and that's sort of a little bit how my opportunity off the rookie list came about, probably because we're going so poorly and they just sort of thought, well, we'll just um, we'll, we'll try something new. So I guess um, that was, a, I guess, a positive that came out of it for me, but it was, um, yeah, it was just interesting, you know, to, to go about it. And I guess when you're a young guy at 20 at the time, I was just, you know, wanted to play my role every week and happy to get a game. I know as silly as and as simple as that sounds, but that's probably how it was. And so probably only on reflection that you look back and think a bit more deeply about the things that were going on in the background at the time. You, um, 
as Darren mentioned earlier, you, you got a uh, a rising star nomination in, in your first season in 2000. What was that, um, I guess, going into that next year under Malcolm Blight? Um, yeah. you, you played a lot of a lot of those games under Blighty in that half a year or three quarters yeah. of a year that, that he, yeah. he coached. Um, obviously, there are some well-documented stories about Blight and his time at St Kilda, but what are some of your memories of playing playing footy under Malcolm Blight? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I guess um, I guess the the only games I missed when Blighty was at the club was when I was injured. So basically, every time I was available, he he played me. So I guess at the same time, I felt he was pretty hard on me. But people have then said, well, maybe he had some time for you, and that's why he was hard on you because you were playing every week. So again, it's hard it's hard to know. I remember. Um, one story I do tell to people at, at this stage, I actually started the year not too badly. I think I had the first week 15 or 16 touches. And then the next two weeks, I think along with Har- with Harvey, I had sort of equal the most possessions, which as a 21-year-old, I thought, geez, I'm starting to think I'm going all right. <laughs> and then um, we're sitting in the in the Monday meeting watching the, the video of the – after the – we lost to West Coast. I don't know if you remember a guy um, – Wilson, who was 29 and had big muscles at the time, and I think he kicked seven or eight against us in a game that we were expected to win, and we got done. Um, So Blighty wasn't that happy on the Monday, but so he's walked in and um, just halfway during the meeting, he just made eye contact with me. I was sitting there minding my own business. He made eye contact with me and said something along the lines of, your first half was good and your second half made me want to spew, and you know certainly to get a game this week. And I guess in my head, I thought, geez, I thought I was going all right. And uh, I remember Aaron Hamill walked out after me, put his arm around me and said, you're all right? I said, oh, yeah, I don't. You know, I was a bit in, bit in shock, to be honest. And I went home and I said to, um, at the time I was living with Steve Baker and Kate and Beatham. So we just moved into a house together maybe two months beforehand. And Bakes and I were pretty good mates and got on pretty well. And I said, oh, I think I might go talk to Bloody, you know, tomorrow about that. And Bakes said, mate, don't. Don't do that. It's crazy. Like that's that's um, you know got a got a death wish, um, but in the end I did. I went and sort of spoke to him and sort of said, yeah, no, I appreciate what you're saying. And but you know I was a bit surprised that you would say that. And he said, well, lucky had the balls to come and talk to me. So this week you're gonna you know you'll still get a game, but you'll start on the bench. And that's when the bench was the genuine bench. And I think uh, I think the next week I came on sort of just before half time against we played Port Adelaide and Adelaide and we we're down by about eight goals when I came on. So. Um, so that was that was one memory that I personal memory that I have with Blighty. But um, like I said, I think you know one thing is for someone who didn't have a, a long career, I played every week when he was coach. So that was that was a good thing, I guess. One other thing with Blighty, I th- I'm pretty sure I asked Spider this question. Um, he was very early on in this podcast, pretty much back yeah. at the start. Yeah. One thing that Blighty did with the team at one point was actually bring you back out onto the ground after the game and set you all in the circle. And yeah. do you have much recollection of what he said to yeah, you? Yeah, no. Or... Yeah, I, me- I remember it happened. I remember I was in there, but I can't remember too much about what got said, to be honest. So, um, yeah, I know it happened. And at the time, you sort of, yes, again, like I said, on reflection, you probably think, geez, that was really strange. But at the time, I was like, oh, we're told to go out. So you go out and do as you're told. So, um yeah, I was I was part of that, but I can't can't remember too much about what was said to be honest. So what, what did what did Spider say? I can't remember. <laughs> no, I can't remember too much. I think he just said, um, yeah, got into the players a little bit, and yeah, um, I, said, I, I, I I was still there when it happened and in the ground. Um, I could yeah. kind of hear his voice, but we couldn't quite hear what he was saying. But yeah, 
It was just, certainly getting sure, plays, I think. Not sure Spider ever listened to coaches anyway. So nah, that was just 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 for guidance. I guess the final one on on Blighty, there's often been an outside perception and, and obviously probably why he was sacked, that, that maybe the attention to detail and the commitment wasn't as strong as it needed to be. As players, did you find it that way and did it surprise you when it happened or was there a part of the, your brain that thought, no, maybe that was coming? Um, again, again, at the time I was 21 and I was getting a game every week, so I thought that was that was fine. Um, you know, I was, I guess it's probably only when you sort of go through your own footy career post that, that you sort of see maybe the level of detail that maybe other coaches went to post that, um, to sort of think, yeah, maybe, maybe there was a bit missing there. But with that said, you do hear stories that that's exactly what he did at Geelong and Adelaide and was hugely, hugely successful there. So, um, again, at the time, you know, I sort of thought it was a bit different, but there was, you know, a, a huge amount of belief in what he'd done, you know, and his record beforehand spoke for itself. So just at 21, I was getting a game every week and that was, I was happy with that, I guess. Brett, the, the last game of that 2001 season, obviously the club had made that transition from Blight to Grant Thomas, at least in, in the interim capacity and, and later on yeah. as the, the full-time coach. But that final, that final round, obviously most Saints fans remember that as Barry Hall's last game yeah. and the goal after the siren. Um, yeah. You were one of the best on on ground in that game. You had 32 touches and kicked a goal. Probably unlucky not to get a Brownlow vote. Do you have, have many memories about that that night? Yeah, that was, a, that was a good one. Well, like I said, probably in my time, particularly in the first couple of years, we didn't have a lot of wins. So to win a game after the siren and for, you know, yeah, that was a, yeah, and to sort of contribute towards it. So, yeah, that was, you know, probably among my fond- fondest memories of, um, of playing AFL footy for St Kilda, really. You know, that was a that was a pretty good, um, yeah, yeah, really good memory for sure. There was one, I was watching the um, the highlights of it and, and you were, it looked like you were pretty close to, to Barry when he took that final mark before the, the shot. Um, yeah. And it looked like you were pretty animated. You were pretty happy. Pretty happy. Yeah, with well, it was, well, it was good when at least uh, knew there probably wasn't a lot of time on the clock. And I think Milne might have hit the post just before. Yeah. I think I handballed one yeah. to Milne and then he had a shot. But look, looked home and ended up hitting the post. And then... Um, they kicked it in. And, yeah, and then Milne they gathered it in and sort of bounced back to Milne and he uh, the kick at the Baz. So, yeah, no, that was... Uh, yeah, no, that was... a, uh, And that was the last... As you said, that was the last game of the season. Yeah, it was probably pretty likely that Grant was going to be coach at that stage, and then that win probably sealed that. Um, and at the time, I guess I was happy that Grant was going to be coach as well. So it was sort of, um, yeah, it all, all looked pretty positive. So yeah, no, that was, and like I said, it was the end of the season, so we all had a few beers and celebrated it all as well, which was which was good. I was about to ask about how was the transition to GT because obviously, it seems like Malcolm and GT were. Very different coaches in the way of how they saw the game, how they coach the teams. Like yeah. Malcolm was seemed pretty distant, so he seemed like a, a game day coach. But GT seemed to be a very hands on, always in there doing doing everything for the club. Um, yeah, it, you missed the start of the season, but did that whole thing of having GT being there as the coach did that give you confidence that I'm going to get back in the side at some stage and give a real get a real good go at it because. Um, because of the last few games the year before? Yeah, well, I, I think so. I think, at least initially, I think Grant, I think Grant and I had a pretty good relationship personally, you know, but, and I think initially, um, I was going okay as a young player and he was, I think he had a bit of belief in, 
in me as well. A couple of times I came in after um, sort of extended breaks and didn't sort of play a game in the reserves and just sort of got put straight back in under Grant. And obviously um, at some point that changed though. So, um, you know, I guess it was probably only three years later I was playing for ball. And so, you know, at some point that level of belief changed. And I think, um, you know, we had an influx of guys like um, Del Sano, Montagna, um, Ball. We had Stephen Powell and Heath Black come from from other clubs who were probably all, you know, midfield, outs, you know, it's a couple of those outside mids. Um, we probably shuffled me back in the pecking order a little bit at that at that time. So. You had some injuries, obviously, in that 01 year. I think you had a broken leg, missed seven or eight weeks. The following year, was it a... Like a, a leg or a hip or a cork? Oh, yeah, it was a cork yeah. thigh. I got um, yeah, for ages. Yeah, the last last practice game we played um, Collingwood at Ballarat, and I just I was playing on the wing at the time. Came in, picked it up, and Paul Lecure tackled me and just got me with this with this cork thigh. To be honest, it hurt more than the um, than the broken leg did the previous year. And it's yeah, it was strange. Ended up um, it ended up calcifying and I ended up missing I think ten weeks with it. So. You know, it's funny you sort of hear a corky and you think, geez, it'd be pretty weak to miss one, but I miss I miss 10 weeks. So that's um yeah, it was can, a, can, a strange one. Can they come at bad times? Because as you say, St Kilda were bringing in got I mean Heath Black's first year was 02, as you said, uh, yeah. Powell's first year was 03. Do you feel that for you personally that some of those injuries came at I guess exactly the wrong time in terms of costing you some momentum? Yeah, I think um I think certainly in the back I played most of the most of the back end of 2002, but probably coming off then missing 10 games, you know, so probably all the fitness base that I'd had, I'd lost. So probably, yeah, I think, as you say, like a little bit of momentum and, um, yeah, I was sort of finished 2001 well, had a, had a really good preseason 2002. So I think that one really came at not a great time. And, yeah, probably the second half of 2002, I'd never probably played at the same level um, at AFL level again, even though I was only sort of 21 or 22. So, um yeah, and then I guess then from there, probably, as you say, the competition for spots probably heated up a little bit and I was probably, um, yeah, probably second half of 2002 wasn't as good as the previous year or so. Now, obviously, uh, you know, injuries and long-term injuries can be can be frustrating and, and you know, I'm sure there's nothing that can can really make up for that. But you already mentioned a couple of the, the young blokes that were coming through at the same time. Yeah. And I, I guess the silver lining of, of, I guess, being on the sidelines during that period was you had a front row view of a young Nick Rewalt, Luke Ball, Nick Del Santo, Brendan Goddard, et cetera. What was that like? And, and what was the, I guess, the feeling coming through in, in a young group as that was kind of taking place? Well, that's, I guess, I guess that's one thing that I give Grant enormous credit for in terms of how he got that group to be a team, really. You know, like that, those, those group of young blokes ended up, you know, forming the, the backbone of the club for 10 or 12 years, really. And they, none of them, you know, Bawley left, but I don't think he wanted to leave. I don't think anyone really, and Goddard left, I don't think he wanted to leave either, you know. So I think there was a group there that were genuinely heavily invested in the club. And that was, you know, through through no small part with Grant and how he got people to buy into what he wanted to do in the footy club itself. So I think... I think he was enormous, really, in terms of how he, you know, even though he was gone in 06, but, you know, his imprint on those grand final sides, which, you know, could have could have got two or three flags sort of in the late 2010s. Now, on 304, you mainly ended up playing out at Springvale 
yeah. uh, for the Scorpions. And you'd see a lot more of those, I guess, younger players again being out there. Um, did did you find that you were, had been there for a few years at the club already that when these new players came through, you're kind of giving that that sort of a teaching role when playing at Springvale going, okay, this is, I, I've been in the seniors. I know what's required. And just, just trying to guide them to get them, I guess, to help the club move them in and give them, try to give them a few games into seniors. Yeah. That's, it's an interesting question. I guess at the time I was only 23 and 24 myself, where I was still desperately keen myself to get back in and continue my career. But one thing I do remember during that time is that the amount of good footy that Lee Montagna played in, at VFL level, mainly in 2002 and 2003. That started that 2003 season. He was having 30 and kicking three and four goals every week and still couldn't get a game um, to the point where, you know, sort of thought, you know, like what what has, what have the decision makers got against Lee? A little bit, but he just kept playing well um, and doing it week after week. And, you know, I guess when he did get the opportunity at senior, senior level, he made you know, a pretty serious impact pretty quickly. And you know, not that long after was an All-Australian. So there might have been some method in the madness from, a, from, from above for sure. But I guess that's one memory for me playing at VFL level is to how good he was at a young age. Um, and obviously he was able to convert that into a, you know, a pretty awesome AFL career as well. A couple before we, we let you go. Obviously, you mentioned Ivy and, and the lifelong St Kilda supporter and obviously only passed recently. But uh, as a result of, I mean, she was a bit of a cult hero at St Kilda and as a result, you were. I mean, Rex Hunt often referred to you as Ivy's boy and things yeah. like that. Did, did you feel that there was a bit of a favourite son element and, and that, that she being such a matriarch of the club had a, a big role in that? Oh, I, I probably didn't feel that as much, but I remember... Um... When I first started, I used to, because Ivy was dad's mum, I used to say to dad, can you, like, I guess we're all a bit more sensitive when we're, like, late teenage years, early 20s. I was like, can you try and stop her ringing up the radio? Like, you know, I'm just, I just don't need it. Can you just tell her to? But, you know, he's like, well, I can talk to her, but it's not going to make any difference. She's going to do what she's going to do anyway. So, um, yeah, no, it's just, but in, in hindsight, you look back and think how funny was it that she used to, you know, <laughs> ring up and she'd get into Billy and get into, you know, KB and whoever else she could, um, you know, always always pumping up the, the Saints ties or, or, you know, in most cases, ring up to defend someone. So, yeah. Um, Brett, the, the last couple of years, obviously, we've touched on the injuries, but you played nine games over the, those final couple of seasons. At, at what point... I guess did you see the writing on the wall, or did you did you know that it was kind of it was time, or it, or it was over? And, and how hard was that for you? Um, that's a good question. I guess um, during the back end of the two thousand and three season, so I got dropped early. I think I played the first six games in 03. I got dropped for a couple, and then um, I think I might have got a late call up and played one or two there but didn't get a lot of ground time like I said that's when the bench was the bench you didn't sort of start on the bench and play 90% of games on what guys do now um so those last couple of games I sort of yeah I sort of felt the writing was on the wall a little bit and I was sort of surprised when I was offered a contract for one year at the end of 03 um and strangely enough I was sort of always look back on reflection I got offered a three-year contract at the end of 02 and didn't take it because you know sort of the recommendation was well you know, you come off those couple of years of injuries, play play really well for a year, and then we'll go back to the club and renegotiate. But I don't think that at the time Grant was 
doing the contracts as well as being a senior coach. So I don't know, I don't know that that really went down that well, to be honest. So um, I guess I was surprised at the end of 03 that I did get it leased off at another year. Um, but I guess at that time, early in 04, I think I was probably playing the best footy that I'd ever played. Um, and at VFL level, you know, I had a couple of games where I kicked four and had, you know, good possession numbers, but the, the senior team won 10 games in a row on their way to, you know, on the way to a prelim final. And we just didn't have a lot of injuries and just couldn't, couldn't crack it to get in, unfortunately, because it was a pretty, pretty hard side to get, you know, get into it. And since leaving the club, you've gone out to the Eastern States of Melbourne and Eastern suburbs of Melbourne and had, a reasonable success with playing and coaching and yeah. um, a little bit of a rundown of what you've done since? Oh, yeah, I played, played five years at Baldwin, um, including our first, um, so played in two flags there, one in the Southern League and then our first one in the Eastern Footy League where Daniel Harford was coach. Um, I was captain and we had um, Alan Murray playing that, Sam Cranage, there was a couple of other ex St Kilda guys in that team. Um, and then at the end of that, uh, moved out to North Ringwood as playing coach in 2010. And, um, yeah, lucky enough to sort of coach a couple of flags there and move move the club from third division up into the premier division. And, you know, they're, they're still in that premier division now, seven or eight years on. So, um, yeah, but I guess on one, I guess some guys who play at a high level sort of do it because they do it because they're good at it, not, to, not necessarily because they love it on one who would, you know, would have always slept with a footy and have always loved it. So to sort of be involved all the way through and be involved coaching is something I've always loved doing, yeah, for sure. Final one from me, uh, your, your business rather aptly named, it gets Home Loans Saints. Can you, you sort of tell us about that? And I guess that probably gives a little bit of a an indication that you've still got a bit of a soft spot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, still, still, um, you know, take a keen interest and watch as many games as I can and go to pass player functions when I can. So, um, yeah, so I guess... In terms of, I've um, worked as a mortgage broker for four or five years and then started my own business. And I guess you've got to call yourself something and sort of spitball a few ideas and not sure whether it, yeah, I guess you've got to call yourself something. So I came up with that and it sort of has tended to work well, I guess, particularly that I've rolled across to North Ringwood, who are also the Saints as well. So, um, yeah, funnily enough, that's just how it, how it is. Brett, yeah. last one from me. You obviously got a, a pretty distinctive surname. There aren't aren't that many Moyles around. I mean, there are a couple in the uh, the Jewish community of of, yeah. uh, of Melbourne and Sydney. But did did you ever get any good sledges or nicknames or, or anything like that, that you can remember that were a bit different to uh, to what you'd expect? Not not uh, not on the ground, but I did get the. Uh, I think someone mentioned it as I think in this well, amongst the supporter group there was one called Snipper because a Moyle is in the Jewish <laughs> world is someone who. Uh, Snips the foreskin, so I did get called uh, snipper of some of one stage along the way, and I think some of the supporter group enjoyed that, but not not directly um, to me or on field. But you know, I did actually hear that one. So I remember as a, I think as a fifteen or sixteen year old, I might have heard that, and and probably didn't fully twig as a youngster what that actually meant, and, and asked a couple of family, and I think they deliberately withheld and said, oh, yeah. maybe, maybe a bit later, but. Uh, <laughs> It was a, it's, it's quite clever, and that's the good thing about footy clubs. But, Brett, really enjoyed watching you play. You had some terrific highlights over the journey, and uh, glad to hear you've, you've obviously had some football success as well post that. And, and yeah, thank you very much for, for joining us as, as part of our uh, our series. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Like I said, not as uh, 
illustrious career as some of the other names you've mentioned. But uh, thanks, thanks for thinking of me, and um, yeah, happy to help. Brett Moyle, there. We look ahead to the Gold Coast Suns. We've only played them, by my reckoning, twice at Marvel since about 2014 or thereabouts. Um, Generally, we've played them either at Metricon or we've played a couple of games right up north against them in places like Cairns and Townsville and, and the like. But uh, I think we've had five games in a row against them decided by less than a kick and we've won all of them. So we've obviously had a bit of luck and a bit of composure go our way. We've been outplayed in some of those matches. Or well, last year, I think it was nine points, so single-figure margins, let's say. Um but we got through it on each of those occasions. I feel we're better placed this time, but, but I feel they're better placed this time as well. If, if I do look at them, they've had two really good home performances. They, they pushed Melbourne all the way to the line and they beat Carlton convincingly. They beat a, a banged up West Coast in Perth. It, it took them most of the day to do that. And, and they struggled quite substantially against the Giants away a couple of weeks ago. So there is still a gap between the Gold Coast in Queensland and the Gold Coast everywhere else. And, and hopefully we see a bit of that this week. They've got a lot of talented runners and certainly Raul and Anderson and Rankin. And you look at Brandon Ellis with his experience and Swallow and then the Ruck with Jared Witts. So it's going to be fascinating to see how we, we structure up. And I guess the real question is, I mean, Jack Higgins will should be fit. So does he replace Ben Long or does he replace someone like Windhager? Hopefully not. I mean, Long's been good, but Windhager obviously with the ceiling is a good way to go. And and then it's really Hayes or Campbell. Now, Jack Hayes will give us a bit more around the grounds, but if we want to nullify the Gold Coast in the ruck, maybe it's Tom Campbell, who's a bit more experienced. He had, I think, nine clearances and 11 contested possessions or something on the weekend. So, um, Nick, how do you sort of see that? Do you go Jack Hayes for the mobility or do you go Tom Campbell because he might offer you a bit more in the centre bounces? I'm in the Hayes camp. I feel like we shouldn't be playing Tom Campbell unless both of Ryder and Marshall are yeah. out. Uh, Wits, as we know, is a very good ruckman. He's a very, very good ruckman, probably underrated mm-hmm. around the league. Top five um, in the comp, yeah. I, I think so. Mm. Um, and Ryder is a huge loss. Yeah. Um, but I think that, that one way, you know, even, even looking at the way that we dominated most elements of, of last game, I mean, they, Hawthorne had a very young ruckman in, in Ned Reeves, you know, not experienced, not a huge body. I mean, he's, he's tall, he's big, but he's not, mm. you know, a big physical presence like a rider would be or, or a, a Proust who you mentioned before at GWS. Um, but I think that, you know, even then we didn't really dominate the ruck, we, even with rider. Um, but I think that something that we can do is, is really support someone like a Rowan Marshall around the ground with someone like Jack Hayes and allow them to push forward, get around the ground. They're, they're more mobile. Wits is, is still coming off of that ACL from last year um, and, and potentially that mobility and able to run out you know, four quarters around the ground is something that we could, we could gain a bit of an advantage on. I thought that Paddy Ryder and, and Marshall against Reeves last week, Reeves and Nash, was a huge advantage for us. And it didn't quite turn out that way. Um, ultimately, you know, we were able to beat them pretty much everywhere else around the ground. But um, the ruck position was one that, that didn't turn out to be a huge advantage. Um, and I think that we can potentially alleviate some of that loss by adding Hayes back in the mix, who can get up to the wing, he can get back to halfback, take contested marks, um, you know, make an impact physically with his, with his size. 
um, and, and strength at the contest down at, at ground level, but also in the air and can hit the scoreboard. Um, and so I'm, I'm firmly in the, the Jack Hayes camp this week. I, like I said, I, I don't think Tom Campbell should play unless we're missing both Ryder and Marshall. Um, and and you know, I think Rowan Marshall really has to step up this week. I think he's been, from all reports, carrying something. I don't know exactly what that is. He nearly missed last week, I think, but which is not ideal. If, if Ryder's out of the side, you, you you need Marshall fit and firing. We saw what happened last year when we didn't have either of them. I know our resources are probably slightly better now, but you want to make sure you've got them. I mean, we saw Wits destroy Carlton's midfield without Pitney in the side. I think it's De Koning he played on and yeah. gave him a bit of a touch-up. But uh, obviously, Carlton lost Patrick Cripps pretty early as well. But um, that's that's the key. We, we just can't let him dominate the taps. And even Rowan, Rowan Marshall's an excellent around-the-ground player. But if there's an obvious weakness, he does get beaten a bit in centre bounds. Mm. So we just have to hope that that's um, you know that he can have a good day in there. But but hey, to you in that sort of camp with Nick that we go with with Jack Hayes, or would you be tempted to pick the Gorilla Ruckman? I think that's probably the your best option. Um, just you see what he gave us in the first week and think, okay, look, if we can get that sort of thing, that sort of game from him, have an impact up forward, go into the ruck when Roe needs a rest. Because um, obviously Wits is going to come off at some point as well himself. So you then get your their second ruckman in and get the play against him. and Give Hayes that experience to... I guess learn where that um, that role comes in, and just just give him the freedom to basically uh, the freedom he had in round one. I think he, he was given told to just go out there and do what you do best. Um, there was no, um, it didn't seem to be stuck looking. Oh, what do I do here? What do I do here? He just went out and played, and I think that's the freedom he was given to do that. So he's. Got nothing to lose. He's basically got two weeks to prove himself to say, I can, I can stay in here with right if when he's coming back as well. I, I, I'm going to make an impact here and try to keep my position in the team again um, and not lose out on that. Um, but I was, I was having a look quickly before too. We're saying the last five games, how close they've been. It's been, it's been, um, an average margin bang on four points. So it's basically 20 points in five, in five games. Um, the top five players over, over those five games, Jack Steele, Jack Billings, obviously we're missing. Then you go over there. So they got Took Miller and David Swallow. Miller I and didn't the, mention before either. Yeah. Gun. And the fifth is yeah. Rowan Marshall. Mm. So he, he's, so he's been the fifth most important player over those games. Mm. Over the, last, over the last couple of years. So he has history with them. So he does play well against them. So hopefully he can get out there and uh, as I said, give it a good go. And Wits is a very good tap rackman, very good. Um, he, he reasonably good around the ground as well. Um, I think Rowe maybe just has that little edge over him around the ground. Um, he, he, a bit more pace than he has. So he can get places, get to the forward line and beat him there and try to be that extra forward to be a target. Um, but yeah, it's it's a big task for him, but he's shown he can do it already. So let's let's get behind him and yeah, hopefully he can really lead the way for us on the weekend. 
You mentioned Paco Higgins coming back in and, and whether that's that's kind of a, a goodbye for, for Ben Long this week or not. I wonder if they keep Ben Long in for his aggression. I mean, you, you maybe, feel like yeah. that maybe there's one thing that you can still do against Gold Coast potentially, and and clearly not as much as in years gone by. But if you can get it, if you can get ahead of them physically and mentally, and you can bully them a little bit, then potentially that's an edge that you could have. And and we don't have many physical bulls out there. I mean, we've got Dougal Howard, um, Paddy Ryder, Jeff funnily Steele enough. Would agree. Yeah. yeah, to a yeah. degree, but he's not that angry type of aggression no, in your no. face type bully. I mean, he's a he, he's a bully by actions, by winning the ball mm. and, and hard at the contest, but but not kind of a, aggressive in that in that same way. Whereas Ben Long has has that real get in your face aggressiveness, um, you know, real passion for the contest um, and, and for for you know impact with with the man and with an opponent. Um, I wonder if if that's a reason that potentially Ben Long stays in the side this week. But you know, like you, I'd be looking for reasons to keep someone like Windhager in the side, and and maybe it's someone else that that has to get the chop this week. Yeah, less one of those players. Maybe Windhager wears a sub vest, maybe, or, or and then because Burns wore the sub vest the other day. So I mean, the good news is we've got some guys now putting a bit of pressure on. I mean, Zach Jones is back training. We haven't had an official word about when he'll be available to play, but he's really important. Hunter Clark's listed as about a week away. Uh, Billings, about a week away. Vitell's had two good weeks in a row in the VFL. Mitch Owens is in good form in the VFL. Connolly's going okay. Max Heath's not ready to play AFL yet, but he's going to be excellent, um, really progressing nicely. Geary comes back from concussion through the VFL. Um, and obviously you've got Campbell playing well. So we're starting to get some options. Sharman, I think, was okay on the weekend too. So fingers crossed he keeps pushing forward. Connolly. So Yeah, yeah, that's right. So there's some – some we're a harder side to get into. So I guess looking at the game, as much as the Gold Coast have improved, it's we've shown real resilience across four matches. We're in good form. All of our best players are playing well. It's the type of game where we need to full stop it and go, we're in good form. We're winning this game. Um, you know, consolidate our position ahead of a you know a tricky few weeks stretch. So I'm confident they can you know knock it over and, and hopefully they can you know pencil this one in against a, a handy side and get four in a row and, and really sink our teeth into the season and show now we're um, we're in the mix to to play finals and maybe do some damage. So hopefully that's that's what does happen. But we look to some of our awards. We, we've spoken a bit about the that's so and Kilda, not so much an award, but Obviously, we had the ultimate example, but I, I flicked a message after the uh, Hawthorne game to you guys about, I think uh, we put up on the socials at halftime that we were seven goals up or whatever it was and said, hey, you're feeling Saints fans? And every reply was nervous or I'm shitting bricks or blah, blah, blah. And to me, that's that's so St Kilda. We were never going to lose that game. Never. But we were still panicking. We were still worried. Even when we, I think we were 40 points up just before three-quarter time. And I'm like, yep. hopefully we don't concede the next one. Just give them a bit of a sniff. Like, no way they were going to win that game. Yep. But um, but unfortunately, that's just the life of a Saints fan that we, um, I reckon if, if we ever make a grand final, we could be 87 points in front of three-quarter time. And I'd be sitting there thinking, geez, if we could just hold him in the first five minutes of the last quarter, we might, we might be right. <laughs> It was one of those the streamers will be coming down. You're going, okay, what can happen now? Still, we got to 36 points. And I was like, shit, not 36 again. So yeah. we hit 36 points. We've seen a drop, drop a dax again. But no, you're right. It was, it was funny. I remember 
kind of tweeting that at halftime and watching those nervous, just single, like one word answers just coming in, just nervous, 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 nervous. It was, it was quite entertaining and, and kind of made me feel a little bit better about what a degenerate tragic we are. Um, yeah. and, and that was pretty funny. H? Um, I couldn't think much more than Patty this week. Um, yeah. I looked around and thought it's it's actually worked out to be a, a reasonably good week for us, apart from that. Um, There's always something. <laughs> yeah, I, I I guess one thing that we're getting to the point of now is the whole um, too many players in one position and too many playing well. I mean, it, it, it's a good problem, but it's a problem of going, but now we've got to pick the right ones. So it's just a, it's, it's just an issue of, We'll probably pick a couple, and all of a sudden, not, none of them turn up. That's that's quite often what happens to us. We'll find a a bunch of small, good small forwards. They'll t- tear a team apart one week, and going okay, yep, they're going along here well. And then next thing you know, none of them get a kick. So let let let's hope that doesn't fall into place for us. We get the right team out there, and yeah, we can keep moving on the way we're moving the last few weeks. Can we add to those, or are we? I, I, I mean, the obvious one was was Ryder, um, mm. and, and I figured that one of you would bring that up. So I, I thought I'd go with rats failing the rat. Yeah, oh, you haven't uh, even mentioned that yet. And uh, so, <laughs> oh, come on! Brendan Laid will be the interim coach. The the good news about that, as much as we want, you know, our senior coach being the senior coach and and coaching on game day, is that interim coaches haven't lost a game so far this season. So maybe a good omen, but that would, then be, again, so that would be so secure for, <laughs> for us to be the first one. So there you go. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we we're, were never going to get through it without a COVID scare somewhere. And look, hopefully that's you know, I guess my, my main fear was hopefully he's been away from the playing group for a couple of days and we don't lose seven blokes. But um, but technically yeah. it's not our first one though. Trick, um, no, that's right. Because we had Dougal. So yeah, that's true um, in the in the Frio game. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so um. Likely yeah. not the first, but no, that, that's right. But um, yeah, so he'll be coaching, like working via Zoom or Skype or something, and, and Brendan Lade will run the show. He's had plenty of experience, but that's another one to look for for this week. Our, our other awards, the the Jason Blake Award, uh, a lot of guys that can be nominated for this, but I'm probably going to throw up one this week that I think is probably the closest thing to Jason Blake we actually have on our list, and. That would be Callum Wilkie, who's been thought he was excellent again on the weekend. I, I can't remember him playing a bad game. I'm sure someone's got him at some point, but um, reliable as ever. Um, I thought that whole back six was good, like Dukes and, and Battle and those sorts of players. But yeah, Cal Wilkie probably doesn't get mentioned enough. Uh, he'd be polling in a, a lot of votes in our BNF, Nick. But um, yeah, he gets mine. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough to mention. I think I said last week that Cal Wilkie is one of those guys that is mm. so underrated. Um, but that we mention is so underrated all the time that he's almost <laughs> rated because he's so underrated. The award um, should be his name almost. It probably uh, yeah. should. It probably <laughs> yeah. should. But no, I went I went back to the well with someone who I mentioned a couple of weeks ago mm. and who, again, like Jack Sinclair, seems to get better week after week. Dan McKenzie has really cemented a spot in the mm. lineup. Uh, his work ethic is very, very good. He gets his hands on the ball nicely. He's dynamic and, and he tries to make things happen. Um, I know that he generally plays off halfback, sometimes pushes to the wing, but he tries to to, to make things happen when he's got the ball in his hand. He he, he takes um, instinctive options. He he tries to 
be offensive minded and attacking when he's got the ball. Uh, I've been really impressed with him so far. And, you know, a bit like uh, Jade Gresham in the last, the last week or so has really increased his disposal efficiency. And that was one of the knocks on him uh, in, in years gone past that he would, he'd be able to find the ball and he's really tough and he's hard and, and he hits the contest and all that sort of stuff. But disposal of the ball was a question mark, but I think this year, He's really improved that, increased that to a point where he's a really important part of our, our team at the moment. And Dan McKenzie, I think, deserves deserves some recognition and um, I hope that he starts to get it this season. H? Um, I'll probably put it down to one that we maybe are underrating ourselves a little bit because, I mean, we haven't given him a vote all year. Um, he turns up and does his job every week. He just, it, it's sort of quiet, Achiever, when you look at the commentary on matches and uh, everyone just sort of, I guess, expects it, um, that he's going to do his job and contribute to the team, but it doesn't get a lot of recognition that it probably deserves. Um, Tim Membry, Mm. it's Mm. his input every week. He gives us as much as he can every week. Um, They've been a very good player, but you just don't hear his name. No. It's it's not a name you hear. Oh, memory was brilliant. All this he's kicked um, four goals, but his name hasn't really been mentioned amongst anyone. Um, he's actually number seventh like, in the even, uh, in the league's goal kicking. Yeah, he's kicked ten in yeah, four yeah. games. Yeah, yeah. So it hasn't been mentioned by us at all, really, in our voting. Or um, I haven't heard his name pop up in on any three sixty or any other shows on TV. Or it, it's it just goes about doing his job that he yeah, does for us and um, it, it wouldn't be the worst thing if he keeps not being talked about if you look at the way teams come into matches so hopefully if his name's not getting spoken about too much then he doesn't get the attention so that's one thing we can kind of hope with that sort of lack of recognition at times yeah absolutely I think that's a very good shout the Shannon Noll Award's going to be tricky this week. We had contributors everywhere. Um, so it's it's we're going to have to be almost deliberately harsh or just slightly frame it a different way. But, but H, if you got one that uh, we can almost be a little bit kinder and say you've just got maybe another gear somewhere that you can find. Talk about different. I was looking a little bit different um, in the way of Paddy Ryder giving away seven free kicks. Mm. Yeah, he was pretty weekend. angry. Yeah, yeah. so it's just, I mean, after the one that was the gave the the, the goal away, the 50, mm. um, you did see a number of players get around him and say, just just, just step back Still a little down. bit. Just, just yeah. get back to what you do best. Just calm it and yeah, focus on what we're doing. So, um, yeah, the seven free kicks, you take that away, and what we're looking at a possibly a, I don't know, 90 point win or so, something like that. So, it's a, it, it does change games. Um, I mean, we saw what happened in the Frio GWS game with Frio piling on the free kicks and, mm. Um, I mean, that, that, that was absolutely extraordinary, that one. So, um, 40, it, it, 42 or something, yeah, 42 to 16, I think yeah. it was. Um, but yeah, it does 
if you give away stupid free kicks, it does shape games. Um, but I, 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 it was still a bit harsh, I think, because I think there was a few in the ruck that you sort of looked and went, how's that a free kick against him when both ruckmen are doing the same thing? Um, but I think he's just got to try to make it, I don't know, are the other players he's rucking against make it look less obvious that they're both holding and he's the one getting caught out or what? But, yes, if we get rid of that little that little thing, but, yeah, it's he's got two weeks to get himself right and come back huge in a couple weeks' time. It felt like he was on the angry pills in a game that he was playing well in and we were dominating, so it was a bit unusual, but um, sort of probably not surprising he ended up getting reported. But I wonder if Alan Richardson... If his eye twitches every time a Western Australian team gets a free kick in Perth, and he sort of sits and goes, "Told you," but, but Nick, have you got any uh, any to shouts for? On a related note, and and I know it's it's already been covered that you know maybe carrying an injury or, or whatever, but Rowan Marshall, mm-hmm. I think, yeah, is someone who we know the type of impact we know the humongous impact that he can have on this team week to week. Uh, we know that. You know, he's not the world's greatest tap ruckman, and that's never been his role. It's probably never going to be his role. But his impact around the ground when Paddy Ryder is, is able to dominate um, stoppages and all that sort of stuff is really important. And if he can't do that, then impacting up forward um, and, and you know, providing a contest or providing a, a defender off Max King or, or whatever. If he's not right, then don't play him. We've got other guys that can come in now. We, we do, I know we're still missing a lot of players and, and there's still guys to come in, but but we do have depth in those particular roles. You know, if, if we're looking for someone to come in to be a tap ruckman, we can bring in um, uh, Theo from North. Campbell. Campbell, <laughs> yep. Is that yeah. forgettable like Paul Hunter last year? Um, but but he's, he's a, you know, Campbell is a big upgrade on Hunter. If we yes. want someone who can impact around the ground and, and up forward, then, you bring back Jack Hayes. You don't drop Jack Hayes last week if Rowan Marshall's carrying an injury and he's not mm-hmm. right. Um, Rowan Marshall is so important to our squad and to the future of this team that it's not worth it. And if he's not right, then don't play him. But if he is right, then he's got to be good to go and he's got to have an impact. And uh, just didn't see any of that either up forward, around the ground, in the ruck at all. Um, and you know, this week is super important with with Ryder out especially. And uh, I think, Marshall, you've either got to take the week off and, and get, get yourself right, healthy to the point where you can have an impact, or you've got to have an impact this week. I'll mention, apart from the match review panel, probably the only one, and it's not so much, I think he's playing well, but just one guy that has to be a little bit careful. Um, you mentioned him a bit at the start, H, just with the, the quirky rhythm. He's a good player and, and I like him, but... Uh, ben Patton just got to watch his tackle technique. He's given away four free kicks inside defensive 50 this year, and all of them for either high contact or, or pushes in the back. So it's only a little thing, and, he, and he's proven his worth and he's important for us. But just just be careful. I mean, you don't want to give those away if it's eight points the difference, not 80 points the difference. So that would be my only one for, for the, the Shannon Noel would be just to uh, just tighten up that technique a little bit so as because you know some of those clever small forwards are going to collapse the knees and things like that and draw pushes. So um yeah, just for Ben for the for the Shannon Noel this week, that um just try not to give away a couple of those um would be handy for mine. So he probably he, he probably doesn't want to be underneath the tackle after what happened last year. Possibly, so yeah. Yeah, that's something he's probably 
being a little bit changing his techniques or something, I guess, with perhaps. Yeah, at, I think. At, yeah. at what point, sorry, just on a, on a different tangent, but at what at what point after not receiving a three vote so far this year do we have to have Jack Steele in the Shannon Noll Award that he's got to win? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It is the Jack Steele Award. Our MVP is the-, is the Jack Steele Award. It is a Jack Steele award, and he wouldn't be winning it at the moment. Um, he's still in the mix, though. But um, yeah, uh, hopefully he's never in it. But um, but yeah, you'd, you'd almost have to sit there and say, "Mate, you've only you're only getting ones. We need you to get uh, we need you to, to start owning your own award again." But it, it's probably a, a testament to how well we're going, and he's not getting the threes every week. But I'm unsure I've given him a vote all year. Actually, I've only given him the one, and that was today. One, yeah. So one I think he gave him one of the. Yeah, he might have got one in the Collingwood game from somebody. Um, but we'll see. But we'll reconvene next week ahead of a is it a Friday night game against the Giants. I think, but certainly, I think it's an early-ish game in the week. I, I might have got that completely wrong, but um, probably doesn't feel like we'd play them on a Friday night. But for some reason, I had that in my head. Let's have a look. Friday night. Yep. Yeah, it is. There you go. So um, we'll reconvene pretty early in the week, obviously ahead of a a Friday night game. But uh, that's it for us this week. And enjoy Marvel Stadium. Have a very good Easter weekend and stay safe on the roads, of course. And we'll, uh, we'll reconvene next week, hopefully toasting four wins in a row. Go Saints.